Today we are continuing our series called Nameless Difference Makers. We're looking at situations in the Bible where someone made a huge difference and yet their name was never recorded in the Bible. We don't know their names. We know about them because of this situation in Scripture, but we don't know their names. And we're seeing that even if our names never get in the history books, God can use us in big ways to make a big difference for him. And today I want to talk about an event that happened in the Old Testament of uh, our Bible. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And the last time I preached on this passage was way back in the early 80s. And that time I borrowed a title from an old pastor and called the message, Seven Ducks in a Muddy River. And Maybe by the time I'm done, you can figure out why. But let's start by reading verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. We meet Naaman in this chapter. He is well-respected, and he's a highly successful military man. The passage tells us that with God's help, he had led the army uh, to victory over their enemies, and he was very popular. I mean, you can picture him uh, returning from battle and them having a big parade in the capital of Syria, and the king makes a speech about how great of a man Naaman was, and his popularity polls are through the roof, and everyone wanted to be around him. And I'm sure that he was also a wealthy man. The king would have expressed his appreciation by giving Naaman a big house and many big gifts and a lot of gold, and that would have made Naaman not just comfortable but wealthy. And so he was popular, and he was successful, and he was wealthy. He had everything going for him. Read the verse again. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria because through Naaman the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but, but he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. He was a great soldier, but have you ever noticed how that small little word completely changes a sentence? It completely changes everything. I mean, think about the times when it's used. They have great food, but the service is terrible. It was a great season, but they lost the last game. He's a good man but he has a really bad temper. She's a lot of fun, but she has a big problem with gossip. They could do great things for Jesus and the church, but they just won't commit themselves to anything. The word but, when it's used in a sentence, often reverses the whole message of the sentence. It just completely reverses the entire message of the sentence. It points out flaws and failures. It points out problems and weaknesses. 
And that's the case in this passage too. Naaman was a great soldier and a great leader. He was popular. He was well-respected. The king liked him. The king trusted him. But he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. Naaman had leprosy, which was the most dreaded disease of the ancient world. Leprosy began with a tiny, insignificant blemish somewhere on your body. It was hardly noticeable, and yet this little blemish would lead to a disease so devastating that it would literally consume the whole body, ending in a horrible, slow, humiliating, and painful death. The extremities, your fingers and your toes and your nose and your ears would just literally fall off your body. And it was a horrible way to die. Today we have medication and treatment for this disease, but back in his day, it was a death sentence. And because they weren't sure what caused it and whether or not it, uh, others would get it, when you had leprosy, you were eventually quarantined. You were asked to live out your final days either completely alone or in a group of other lepers who, were, who would also be dying of the same horrible disease that you were dying of. So Naaman was a great man, but he had leprosy. And because of that, none of the good things in his life mattered very much. I mean, his skill as a soldier and his popularity and his riches would, wouldn't matter much when he was isolated from his family and everyone else that he knew and forced to live in a leper colony or all alone. And it seems that at the time of the story, the disease is just beginning. Naaman might have been doing his best to hide what was going on. I mean, he might have been wearing clothing that would cover the blemish and uh, the problems. He might be doing his best to cover things up. People still try to cover up their problems, don't they? I mean, sometimes people work to conceal physical problems and illnesses. Sometimes people work to hide the hurt and the pain that is eating them away on the inside. Either way, many people try to hide or cover up something that is devastating their life. An abusive relationship or an addiction, a serious financial problem, a marriage problem, a sin habit that's out of control. I'm guessing there is some hiding going on around us today, too. I mean, Naaman seems to be hiding his disease, and at this point, he still seems to be at home, and he still seems to be interacting with his family and with other people, but those closest to him knew where the road that he was on was leading him, and Naaman knew where that road was leading him. And this is when we meet our first nameless difference maker in Naaman's story. She works in a small way to encourage and to make a difference in his life. And we can become difference makers too if we just let Jesus use us to encourage others in their time of need. Let's look at the rest of the story and learn some ways that we need to encourage those around us if we want to be difference makers. First, to be a difference maker, encourage people towards real solutions. Encourage people 
towards real solutions. Naaman had this disease, and he's trying to hide it. And his wife is aware of it, and both of them are worried and they're stressed. I think they're stressed because it's always stressful when you're trying to keep a secret, when you're trying to hide something. But they were also stressed because they know that this disease is going to change their life forever. And I'm sure that they have done everything they could. They have tried every new remedy that they can find to make the blemish go away or to convince them that this really isn't leprosy. And yet it seems they're coming to the point where the truth is sinking in. And that's when an unlikely difference maker shows up. Look at verses 2 through 4 in 2 Kings 5. Here's what it says. In one of their raids against Israel, the Syrians had carried off a little Israelite girl who became a servant of Naaman's wife. One day she said to her mistress, I wish that my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his disease. When Naaman heard of this, he went to the king and told him what the girl had said. Basically, they have taken this little girl as a slave during one of Naaman's military uh, victories in Israel, and she's been carried away uh, to a different land, and she's been separated from her family and the ones that she loves, most likely, and she's been forced to serve as a slave to Naaman's wife. And she knows about the disease. And she knows of a possible solution. And you would think that there would be at least a temptation on her part towards bitterness. That she might be a little bitter. I mean, she could get revenge on this general that attacked her country and forced her into slavery just by being quiet just by not saying anything. She could just not tell them about this possible solution that she knew about. I mean, I would be tempted, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Or maybe you've done exactly that. I mean, you've left a job and you know that they're going to need some information only you have, but you don't leave it for them in a file you just take it away with you, or you're going through a family feud and you come across something that belongs to a family member that you're feuding with, and you just toss it out rather than returning it. Getting revenge is always tempting, but it's never godly. It's always tempting, but it's never what God would have us do. And apparently this little slave girl knew that. Our uh, difference maker tells Naaman's wife about Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who might be able to heal Naaman. And the wife tells Naaman, and Naaman goes and he talks to the king. So what, uh, what the nameless servant did was very simple. She just worked to get Naaman to the person who could help him. Do you want to be a difference maker in the lives of those around you that are hurting? To do it, you need to encourage them towards real solutions. You need to get them to the one who can help them. And friends, the one that can help them is Jesus. It's Jesus. I mean, we spend a lot of time sometimes listening to our friends and our family members talk about the problems in their life. We listen to them and we try to be positive and supportive with them and uh, to let them know we care. And those are good things. But the best thing, 
would be to connect them with the real solution to their problem. And I believe with all my heart the real solution is Jesus. If they're struggling with an addiction, Jesus is the one who can help them through it. Statistics show us that those who go through 12-step programs and are successful at beating their addiction, that the largest percentage of those that are successful in the midst of that form a real relationship with Jesus. They have a real relationship with Jesus, not just some vague concept of some higher power, but they form a real relationship with Jesus. And I believe marriages are saved most often because both the husband and the wife decide that they're going to submit to Jesus, that each one of them is going to submit to Jesus, and each one of them will try to live out biblical principles. And as the two of them move closer to Jesus, they move closer to each other, and marriages begin to uh, be saved and to be rescued and to become truly happy. And it may seem simplistic to you, but I think following Jesus and living by his principles bring us hope and bring us help and bring us comfort in the midst of the biggest problems of our life. And so if you want to be a difference maker, encourage people towards the real solution. Help connect them to Jesus. Help connect them to Jesus. Secondly, to be a difference maker, encourage people towards necessary change towards necessary change. Now, there's a lot in this passage that we're about to skip over. So let me tell you what we're about to skip over, okay? The king sends Naaman to Israel's king, and he sends him with a lot of riches, a lot of gold and a lot of good things as gifts for the king. And then he sends him with a letter, and the letter says to the king of Israel, uh, please accept these gifts and heal Naaman of his leprosy. And Israel's king goes into panic mode, and he is sure that the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with him, and that he will use an ex as an excuse the fact that the king of Israel can't heal Naaman, he'll use that as an excuse to attack. And Elisha the prophet hears about the king's panic and the situation, and he sends a message to the king of Israel that says, hey king, chill. I I'm pretty sure that's a direct translation from the Hebrew. Hey, king, chill. And he says, um, send Naaman to me and I will show him God can take care of this. And so we pick up the story when Naaman arrives at Elisha the prophet's humble house. Let me start reading from verse 9. So Naaman went with the horses and the chariots and he stopped at the entrance to Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a servant out to tell him to go and wash himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he would be completely cured of his disease. But Naaman left in a rage, saying, I thought that he would at least come out to me, pray to the Lord his God, wave his hand over the diseased spot, and cure me. Besides, aren't the rivers Abana and Farpar back in Damascus, better than any river in Israel, I could have washed in them and been cured. 
Now, if we're going to be difference makers in the lives of the people around us, we need to encourage them toward the changes that are necessary in their life. And all of us have things that are standing in the way of us becoming the people that God wants us to be, that God designed us to be. All of us have things standing in the way of us being able to solve the problems in our life with God's help. And Naaman was no different. The passage seems to list several things that were standing in Naaman's way uh, of, and between him and the help that he needed. And maybe some of the same things are standing in our way today. So what stands in the way of us finding the help we need? Well, first, it could be our pride. Our pride. This definitely was a problem for Naaman. I mean, he comes to Elisha for help, but he wants to make sure that his power and his position are pretty obvious. And um, you can see him riding through the streets of this small village in his chariot, pulled by these beautiful horses, and he pulls up in front of Elisha's humble house, and he waits. And what Elisha does next infuriates Naaman. Elisha sends some lowly messenger out with instructions. He doesn't come out himself. That would have been really rude in their day and in their culture. But Elisha doesn't come out himself. Why? Well, because Elisha knew not only did Naaman suffer from leprosy, but he also suffered from pride. He also struggled with arrogance. How often does our pride get in the way of us finding the solution God has for us? I mean, we know that the argument that's keeping us from talking to our spouse is just really silly. But our pride won't let us apologize and open up the conversation again. I mean, we know we need some help to overcome the issues that we're dealing with, but our pride keeps us from going to counseling or from attending our revolution, our celebrate recovery ministry. You see, pride is a disease that eats away at our relationships. It keeps us trapped in the problems that we have longer than we need to be because we're just too proud to humble ourselves and do what God is asking us to do. Is one of the necessary changes in your life to swallow your pride so that God can work in you to help you overcome your situation? Another thing that may stand in the way of us finding the help we need is our expectations. This one was a big one for Naaman. I mean, he had a clear picture of what he thought should happen that day. He thought Elijah, uh, Elisha should come out and uh, see him, that uh, Elisha should come out to him, and then he thought that Elisha should pray over him, and that Elisha should wave his hand over the blemish of leprosy and cure him. And... Um, he wanted to be miraculously healed. Now, he didn't just want God to heal him. He wanted God to heal him his way. And did you notice that Naaman's way meant that Naaman would be the center of attention, not God? Naaman would be the center of attention, not God. How often does this happen? I mean... We want God to work in our lives, 
but we get upset when he doesn't do it our way. Many people pray to God, God, not your will be done, but my will be done. I want you to do my will, not yours. And um, we demand that God do what we ask in our way and in our time. I got to tell you, this is a big deal today. Many are claiming to be close to God, but they're trying to control. They're trying to set the expectations. They think they can ignore what God has said about living pure lives. And then when they suffer the consequences of that in their relationships or in their future marriage, they think God has failed them because he didn't just ignore their sin and give them everything they expected. Or they think that they can ignore what God says about how to deal with their finances, that they can just do it their way and then complain that God didn't meet their expectations, that God didn't bail them out financially later on. Or on the flip side of finances, like Naaman, they think that uh, all of their gifts are going to make a difference. Naaman thought that bringing uh, all of these gifts to Israel and giving them to them would buy him blessings, that they would buy him healing and the healing that he desired. And some today who really aren't living for Jesus, they aren't even trying to live for Jesus, think that if they can just give to enough good causes, if they can give enough money to the church, that God will somehow bless them. Is what's standing between you and the help that you need the fact that you have expectations of God that are based not on who God is or what God has asked, but on what you want. You have expectations of how God should work in your life, and He isn't living up to your expectations. Let's look at one last thing that might be standing in the way of us getting the help we need, and that would be our better ideas. Just simply our better ideas. Naaman not only had expectations on how God would heal him, once he got the instructions on how he could be healed, he had a better idea. He had a better plan. He didn't need to go down to the muddy Jordan River and dip himself there. The river in his countries were much better. They had much cleaner water. And I believe what stands in the way of many people making the necessary changes in their life and becoming the people that God wants them to become is they have a better idea. They think they have a better idea. Some people think that they have better ideas about what the Bible means today versus what it's been understood to mean for generations. I mean, they want to change what the Bible says to keep up with our changing culture or to make it more politically correct, but God doesn't change. And the Bible, his communication to us doesn't change either. Or they have a better idea about how someone gets to heaven. They think that everyone's going to end up in heaven no matter what they do or how they live. They view God kind of as this big loving grandfather in the sky who will just end up being nice and ignoring his own rules and just letting everyone into heaven. And some people think that they have a better idea about how someone becomes a follower of Jesus. They want praying a prayer that isn't in the Bible or relying on decisions that their parents made for them as babies to replace the clear teaching of Jesus. And yet, our better ideas don't get us where Jesus wants us to be because our better ideas really aren't better. They really aren't 
better ideas at all. In fact, most times your better ideas are just rationalizations for not doing what God has clearly asked you to do. They're just rationalizations. So to be the difference in the lives of people that you love, you need to encourage them to make necessary changes in their life. I mean, you can do that by gently talking to them about the changes they need to make or uh, encourage them towards it. But you want to know the best way to encourage someone you love towards necessary changes in their life? You make the necessary changes in your life. You work on making those necessary changes in your own life. You see, nothing encourages change as fast as people seeing a, sincere cha a sincerely changed life that has improved because of the changes that they made. And so if you let Jesus change you, others will notice those changes and they will be drawn not to you, they'll be drawn to Jesus because of how you have allowed him to change you. There's another set of difference makers in the passage that give us one more way to be a difference in the lives of others. Lastly, to be a difference maker, encourage people towards simple obedience. Towards simple obedience. So Elisha sends out uh, a messenger to Naaman on how he can be healed. And no, Naaman throws a fit. He leaves mad. And that's when some other nameless difference makers step in. Look at the passage. Start with verse 13. His servants went up to him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. Now why can't you just wash yourself, as he said, and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan, dipped himself in it seven times, as Elisha had, had instructed, and he was completely cured. His flesh became firm and healthy like that of a child. Now, I think Naaman must be a really good guy. I mean, he must be a really nice guy, a guy that you would want as your friend. He must be a really good guy. And the reason that I think that is because all of his servants seem to really like him. They seem to be really concerned about him. I mean, First, his wife's servant tells him about uh, the God of Israel who could heal him through this prophet Elisha. And now these servants talk him out of making the biggest mistake of his life. And they do it by using just simple logic. They say, Master, if Elisha had told you to do something difficult, you would have done it, right? I mean, they are thinking that if Elisha had said, I need $2 million and then you'll be healed, that Naaman would have found a way to come up with $2 million. They know that if Naaman had said, or if Elisha had said, Naaman, go conquer the army that is threatening Israel, that Naaman would have been putting together an army and that he would have gotten that done. His servants knew that he would have done it. So they say, if he had asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it, right? So, why not do this easy thing? Why not just do this easy thing? And evidently that made sense to Naaman. And so he decides to do what Elisha had asked. He goes to the Jordan River, and he goes down into that dirty, muddy water. And while his men watch, he dips himself seven times, just as Elisha had 
instructed, and as a result, he's healed. He's cleansed. He's made new. His skin is like that of a baby. Now, you understand, there is no way that this is not a symbol of God's plan to use baptism in the future as a way to cleanse us. There's no way this isn't a symbol of baptism. And, um, you know, just like going and dipping himself in that river was humbling for Naaman while his men watched, baptism for some people is a really humbling thing for them to be completely immersed in water and front of the people that they love. And, and you know what? Elisha's instructions didn't seem to make much sense. And sometimes when you think about it, baptism seems like kind of a weird thing for God to ask us to do. I mean, it doesn't seem to make much sense that as a way of responding to God, we need to be dipped completely in water by our own decision. But it's what God asks us to do. And it's just a simple way of us saying to God, I want you to have all of me. I want to belong to you completely. I want you to have all of me. But there's a lesson in this passage for us. Often God's solutions are simple. God's solutions are often simple, and often we want to make the simple things complicated. His solutions are simple, but we want to make the simple things complicated. I mean, and this happens in so many areas. You know, God's simple solution when we have a conflict with someone is before I talk to anybody else about it, I'm going to go privately to the person I'm upset with and I'm going to talk to them and only to them. And it's such a simple solution. But we want to make it complicated. You know, we want to talk to 14 people about it and tell them how bad the other person was and how terrible they were and get them to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and then eventually we might talk to the person about it, but usually screaming at them and being angry with them. And, and then we find out it was all a misunderstanding and now 14 other people are mad at them and think that they're terrible. You see, God's simple solution is the right solution, but we want to make it complicated. We want to make it complicated. And I think many... Many people are struggling to become followers of Jesus because they believe it's just too simple. They think it's just too simple to let Jesus' sacrifice on the cross pay the price for their sins. I mean, they think their sins are too big and too bad. And you know what? If, if Scripture said they needed to do something hard, they'd do it. The Scripture said they needed to travel to Jerusalem and crawl on their knees to all of the churches in Jerusalem Planes would be full going to Jerusalem because that makes sense to people. But God's simple plan is just that we trust in Jesus, that we give ourselves to him. And so often God's solutions are simple and often we try to make the simple things complicated. And the other lesson is the quickest way to let God change your life is to just simply obey what he asks you to do. To simply obey what he asks you to do. So let me ask you, where in your life do you need to simply obey God? 
I mean, obedience and humility are always a part of God's plan. But where do you just need to do it God's way? To simply obey him. Winston Churchill said this, sometimes it's not enough to do our best. We must do what's required. It's not enough sometimes to just do your best and hope for the best. You've got to do what God requires, what's required. And God will bless your humble and simple obedience to Him if you will do what's required. And so what do you need to do? I'm encouraging you to do that today. Maybe you need to talk to somebody, someone that you've been upset with. Maybe you need to get some help and get some counseling. Maybe you simply need to obey God by forgiving Maybe you need to ask those questions rather than just letting them create doubt in your mind. Maybe you need to take the step of being baptized into Christ by your own decision. Maybe you need to volunteer. And you see, if you will simply obey, you will find peace with God because greater is the one who lives in me than the one who lives in the world. When I turn to God and simply obey him, he gives me strength. Jesus is greater than my pride. He's greater than my expectations. He's greater than my better ideas. He's greater than the excuses that we keep making to not obey him. He's greater. He's greater. So where do you need to simply obey today? I hope if God is nudging you at all, that today you'll talk to somebody. You'll talk to one of our first step people with the yellow lanyard or you'll talk to me. But please let me encourage you to simply obey Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that what is uh, for us a simple plan of salvation where we trust in you cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. And Father, we thank you so much for loving us. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we've tried to make your simple plan complicated. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we've thought our better ideas uh, would get us further in life or further in our relationship with you. Now, Father, we want to simply obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.